You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> 
Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. On this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we are serving up a big old plate of crow. A couple weeks ago, Shorty and I released a podcast, part two, caring for hounds on a budget. And uh, we got a little pushback on that. And we got it from somebody that's pretty qualified to be giving us some pushback. I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Dr. Taylor Young also known as the Tree Dog Doc. He's been making more appearances on podcasts lately than Joe Rogan. And um, he and I got together about doing this podcast, and um, uh, I wanted the straight dope on some of what we were passing out there. And, And Shorty and I both agree we would rather give you correct information than be right. So... What the, what I mean by that is um, Houndsman XP is not about our ego and what we know. It's about getting you the right information. So when uh, Dr. Young reached out to me and agreed to sit down and do this podcast, I went with my hat in my hand. I'm not going to lie. I was uh, uh, expecting to get my whipping, and we actually agreed on some things. He reiterated some things that we said. And he also clarified a few things, and I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast as we, if especially if you go back and overlay it on what Shorty and I talked about in part two, talking about antibiotics. The Tree Dog Doc grew up hunting. He has tree dogs right now. That's why he's got the name Tree Dog Doc. So he's not unfamiliar with uh, the, the the listeners, the crowd, the crew that uh, listens to this podcast, and, and he's able to talk about some of these antibiotics in a way that we can all understand it. You're really going to enjoy that part. Before we get to the podcast, I've got to tell you what's going on at Houndsman XP. We are going to hit 1 million downloads in just a little over three years at Houndsman XP. You, the listeners, have helped us achieve this, and we've got some big stuff coming for you. We're going to pay it back. You need to be paying attention to our social media platforms on Instagram and on Facebook. And Go Wild. We're going to be talking about this stuff on Go Wild as well. Great social media platform for hunters but anyway here's what we're going to do we're going to have a contest about who guesses the date properly for the 1 million download day i can tell you that we're in the 960,000 range right now so i'm not going to spoon feed this to you but one day in this month we are going to hit 
One million downloads. So there's a couple things. We're going to create a post on Facebook and on Instagram where you can drop your expected date. And then we're going to take all the people that uh, were, were correct on that date. We're going to throw all those names in a, in a hat for a big drawing. We're going to do personalized painting of you, your hounds, hunting memories, whatever it is. Whatever photo you want memorialized in a painting, we've contracted a, uh, an artist to do this painting for you. What a great keepsake that's going to be. There's going to be other prize packages, things that go along with that, including a custom handmade knife. It's going to be cool. The other thing we're going to do is for the month is a contest for people who leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's going to be easy. You go to Apple Podcasts, you click on our logo wherever you're get, you know, wherever you're listening to this in that app, write a review. We prefer you leave us a five-star review, and then you have to write a line or two. Okay, write a line or two. Love the show, listen to every podcast, whatever you want to put in there, and then screenshot it, and you can either email it to me at chris.houndsmanxp at gmail.com. chris.houndsmanxp at gmail.com, or I'd prefer you to email it to Lauren, and that's Lauren dot houndsmanxp at gmail.com or you can post a picture of your screenshot under the post we'll pin the post to the top of the group or to the top of our houndsman xp page you can enter it right there we want to we want to have some fun this month it's a big month we're doing special promotions with dogs are treed we're going to just do some off the wall drawings whenever we feel like it it's going to be wild and crazy we are stoked about hitting 1 million downloads. That is a mile marker uh, for any podcaster. And we're going to pay it back to you because you made it happen. The Old South Dog Box is rocking, and it's time to get the tailgate down and dump the box. All right, this is uh, take two on this one. <laughs> Technology. Technology, yeah. I'm supposed to be the podcaster here. I don't even know when, how to run this, podca this podcast recorder. But I am in Virginia in Marion Heights, and I'm sitting down with Dr. Taylor Young. And uh, I'll just give you the backdrop on, on uh, what's going on here. You go by the Tree Dog Doc on social media. Yep. So everybody can find that and start following Dr. Young. And, uh, uh, but the reason that we're here is because a few weeks ago you were on another podcast, the one that Ben Sheets produces, called Tree Talking Time. And I listened to you, and I thought, well, Shorty referred to it in our podcast. Uh, and then I found it, and I started listening to it. And and uh, uh, the thing was, we were dropping the podcast on Caring for Hounds on a Budget at the same time, about the same time that you came out. And... Uh, you found some discrepancies <laughs> that Shorty made. Maybe a few things I'd do different. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> oh, so that's why we're here. And and I'll tell you what. Um, I, I said this before, but we're, we we want to get the best information out there for our listeners, the most uh, accurate information out there. And um, so. 
you're here to set me straight and set us straight on some of the things we said and some of the things we did or uh, talked about on the podcast. And, and uh, I'm not afraid of that. So I'm here to take my whipping. <laughs> like, uh, like I say, to your, to your great credit, when I brought that up, um, it'd be easy for somebody to get defensive and, and, uh, and dismissive of it, but you didn't. You said, well, let's, let's correct it and let's, let's talk about it. Um, and I greatly appreciated that. And uh, so there's a lot of, of info that I agreed with and then some of it uh, that my training has taught me different. And so yeah. we can cover some of that stuff and, and talk about kind of some broad principles and reasons why and why not we do some things that we do as right. vets versus, uh, you know, you guys out in the field. Well, what do you go by Tree Dog Doc on social media? You know, I, 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 that's my sport. That's hunting is the, my, my hobby that I've done since, you know, as early as I can remember. And I got into tree dogs in middle school and then into high school. I was pretty heavy into it. Took a little break going to school um, and, and then have gotten back into it with my latest pup. And, and so there's a couple of guys that focus on bird dogs, a couple of guys that focus on gun dogs. And I was like, well, there's no vets that really are helping the tree dog community understand veterinary medicine and why mm-hmm. we do those things. And yeah, we've so, had Jonathan Bradshaw on. Yeah. He's huge in the retriever world. Sure. But yep. uh, it's good to have a vet that knows what we're out here doing and understands the the things we're putting our dogs through. And a lot of times when I walk into a vet's office with my hunting dogs, uh, you know, I pass or I'm – a lot of times I leave them in the truck. Yeah. You know, I just leave them in the truck and go in and check in. And then when they call my name, I'll just go out and get them. But yep. I'm sitting there with people who have got sweaters on their dogs and and all kinds of stuff. And it's it's a – there's a huge disconnect in today's day and age on the utilitarian use of a dog and uh, the fur baby culture. And uh, it's nice to have a vet that understands both worlds. Sure. Yeah. And I, I see those fur babies, quote unquote, and, and treat them. And, and there's lots of good people that love their dogs. But, yes, it's, it's a different mindset for sure. Um, from a dog that's used in hunting and dog that is, you know, it's looked at as another child. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go and listen to that tree talking time, we talked about some of that and the mindset of why I think differently. But of course, being raised around animals and hunting dogs is a big reason why I do. Yeah. So how did you get, how did you get to the point that you wanted to be a vet? I think like pretty much most kids, I wanted to be one as a little kid. Cause I thought you just play with puppies and kittens all day yeah and uh, as I got older and started to understand what it really looked like um, still it was interested and, and it always kind of captured you know my, my imagination but I got distracted by other possibilities in high school and I, I went to undergrad to do a completely different thing and, but growing up on the farm and and having the vet come out and teach us how to castrate pigs and and watching them uh, check mares for pregnancy and, and those kind of things just always stuck with me so you, and, you grew up on a on a farm I did uh-huh. Yeah. I, we, we grew up in the city uh, till about middle school and then moved out to where my dad grew up in Franklin County, Virginia, uh, about middle school. And so from then on, we had all, all kinds of stuff out there, horses, pigs, cattle, chickens, what you name it, we had it. And uh, so that's where I kind of got exposed to the farm animal side of things. Yeah. And uh, but I always have had dogs uh, since uh, since I was a kid mm-hmm. and I've always been around those, too. So do yeah. you ever keep any Pengee in the refrigerator to, to shoot in a pig? You know, I don't think I ever had to treat a pig with an antibiotic. Really? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we focused on, uh, my dad was kind of into the, I guess you could call it the alternative agriculture movement and, and uh, 
trying to focus on, you know, natural stuff, pasture rotation, um, minimizing the use of drugs, no antibiotics, things like that. And now that I've gone to vet school, you know, I, I do think differently than I did growing up. But back then, mm -mm, no, we didn't use much antibiotic. Um, and so, and we really usually did not have a cause for it. And I can think of times growing up where I probably should have used one. But no, we didn't. We didn't really hmm. rely on that much. Um, and that's different from a lot of people that grew up on a farm, for sure. That's interesting because it kind of brought something to mind. Is there just as much, you said you changed the way you thought about antibiotics. Is it because... Um, you got educated in antibiotics and you saw that maybe some of the hype around organic farming maybe wasn't, wasn't all that, you know, all it was hyped up to be and antibiotics aren't from the devil type stuff. <laughs> That's exactly huh? right. Antibiotics are a gift from God. They are amazing. I mean, you can just go look at the history of antibiotics. And when they created penicillin, what was it, World War One? I? I mean, it changed mm -hmm. how they, they treated infections and it was just mind-blowing this ability we had and they're they're a precious resource that we have mm -hmm. um because the bad news is they're not making too many more of them but yes i, I changed how i looked at them uh, there was there is a a line where the organic farmer has to think is this animal suffering mm -hmm. and could an antibiotic prevent that suffering and at that point i think it is wrong to withhold antibiotics mm -hmm. um and actually in most organic uh I guess certification programs or whatever you call them, they outline that, that you cannot withhold antibiotics just for the sake of saying that well, good. you didn't have one. But there are still people who are not certified organic right. um, that have that mindset of, you know, an antibiotic will never touch my animal. Um, and, and I do think from an animal welfare standpoint, that is wrong. Um, but I do also think that they, we have something to learn from them, which is minimizing as much as possible the use of those antibiotics mm -hmm. to save them for women really need them. Um, and, and we can talk about resistance and things like that and why it's important to preserve the ones that we've got. Mm -hmm. But, yes, it did change how I looked at things after I learned how and why yeah. and when they're supposed to be used. Well, I think that last podcast we did was mainly on antibiotics. And uh, uh, we also talked about DEX a little bit. And I want to get into all that, but tell me about your tell me about your dog. What kind of what kind of dog you hunting? Yeah, he, he we, on take one of this. He called him a mountain cur, and I was a little offended. But uh, <laughs> this is I've got a I've got a Ladner black mouth cur, and uh, there's a couple different strains of the black mouths. But uh, he's he's straight from the Ladners down in Mississippi, and they breed uh, still breed a pretty versatile all around dog. They do have specific you know lines in their Ladners that are geared one more towards the other um but i got him out of their best tree dogs and uh he's a he's a, about a year and a half and his name's rip and we're trying to focus on squirrels right now and that's the first ladder that i had in high school that's what we did squirrel and coon hunted and so that's what i'm doing with him getting him started on some squirrels we'll switch him over coons about yeah. mid-winter and uh so that's anytime i've got free time which is precious right now we're mm -hmm. usually in the woods trying to trying to get him on some squirrels right now so yeah, good deal. Those L.H. Ladner used to advertise all those cur dogs. I used to look at them in full cry. And, yeah. and uh, my uncle that got me into to hunting with hounds and, and dogs, uh, you know, chasing, chasing raccoons and stuff around Indiana there, um, he had a blackmouth cur that was always a pretty sharp little dog. You could tell she was a little bit different than the hounds. Mm -hmm a little more alert, a little more aware of what, you know, uh, she would catch things around her a little bit more. A hound would be tied up to the box next to her taking a nap, and and uh, she'd be taking, you know, she'd be snoozing, and a, a squirrel would, you could hear 
hear a squirrel cutting on a nut or something, she'd perk up and she'd look at it, you know, and yeah. the hound would just be laying there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit different, and they were real versatile as far as the way they were bred in the South. I mean, catching hogs, gathering cattle. You know, when you're cutting hogs and bringing them in or you're ringing hogs or whatever you were doing down there, they that's what they were always bred for. And then to put meat in the pot, you know, so they did everything. Yeah. They got, they got a little bit of a handle on them, kind of like the mountain curs. Yeah. I think they got a little bit more personality than some of the other cur breeds. Yeah. And, uh, and Rip's always entertaining, if uh, if not frustrating. But uh, right. he, he's a knucklehead. <laughs> but he, uh, he he's a lot of fun to be around and to have in the woods, uh, you know, when it's time to go home because I got to go on a call or get back to the kids. It's time to go home, and he's there to, ready to roll. Right. And uh, he's good hunting small, smaller patches of woods like we've got around here, but we can go out to the National Forest, and he'll get a little deeper. So uh, he's he's a great dog. How far out will he range on his own, or have you had him range at this point? Yeah, he's he's probably averaging about 2 to 250 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in unfamiliar woods, he'll still he'll hang out a little bit closer. But in my spots that we you know go hit more often, he'll, he'll get out there and go. Um, but he's not going to go 500 yards and get hooked and stay there. You yeah. know, that's, that's not their, really their style. They're, they more hunt with you and for you rather than just being focused on going and finding, getting up under a tree. Right. And some, some guys don't like that. And that I understand. Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, kind of hunting and seeing what he's doing and him checking in on me and going the way I want to go, it, it makes life easy. So yeah. I like it. Yeah. And you got, I, I drove up, uh, I don't even know which way I came to get here. But uh, came over from the Christiansburg area and, and drove up under the Bluegrass Park or the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway and came up the river there. And I was amazed at all of the national forests and stuff you've got right over there. So it's, yep. you got plenty of hunting. 20, 20 minutes from here and we're, we're in the national forest. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, it's pretty nice to be able to have that much public land. No doubt. That close. No sure. doubt. Let's dive into some of the antibiotic stuff, and uh, let's just—is there anything specific that that you wanted to uh, to talk about on the that we may have misled some people? Because I'm, I'm I'll pre- preface it this way: I do not like uh, when I see incorrect information that somebody puts on social media, um, especially when it comes to. Um, how to treat our, how to take care of our, our animals. So uh, a lot of these guys that have been in hounds for a long time, uh, you take a guy like Shorty that has been in ranching, he's hunting backcountry a long way from, from a veterinarian. You got to have a little bit of smarts about you to be able to solve some pretty simple stuff. But I know Shorty uh, he's a good friend of mine, and I know that if he's got a serious problem, he's packing up and headed, heading to town. Right. But uh, it's just it's a different culture type thing, and and they're probably not going to run to the vet for a snake bite. You know, they've they've treated snake bites, they've done it uh, for a long time. It, it'd be like, uh, you know, what's traumatic for somebody that grew up um, in an urban setting? You know, if they see a, a a calf that's tangled up in barbed wire with some blood scratch you know some scratches on it and they're bleeding it's going to freak them out and they're going to think they need to call the vet where a farmer's going to walk out there and he's going to untangle him look at it if he needs a shot of pin g he's going to give him a shot of pin g and smack him on the butt and put him back out in the pasture you know or do something similar you know what i'm sure because of the experience so um 
where do we draw the line between you know farm farm medicine and veterinary medicine for mm. for us for i mean hound doggers and vets i guess i'll kind of start with the the thousand foot overview of how medical you know bus, both us vets and, and human med is starting to look at antibiotics and because it, it is rapidly changing um because of big issues like antimicrobial resistance which i'll get to but you know it used to be that the antibiotics um you know like i said they're they're amazing they they have literally i mean you, you can't quantify how many lives they've saved since mm-hmm. they were you know penicillin was invented and so they they're amazing when they're used right the problem is that we've used them so so much that we are now creating these these bacteria that no longer respond mm-hmm. and not just in animals but in people and the problem is that we share a lot of these same bacteria so we're creating resistant bugs in animals by treating them with antibiotics that are then spreading to people and creating infections that you can't kill anymore because those bugs don't respond mm-hmm. so it used to be that we would use antibiotics and there's still a lot of of practitioners that view antibiotics as a just in case kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, man, that cut does look pretty yucky. You know, it's pretty dirty. Uh, let's go ahead and throw some antibiotics in there just in case it gets infected. Snake bites. Let's mm-hmm. go ahead, just in case that snake bite gets infected, let's just go ahead and start some antibiotics. And in certain situations, that is appropriate. And mm-hmm. there's guidelines for, for helping us decide that. But as a general rule, we're using that much, much, much less as a just-in-case situation, and we're not using them until we have to. And that's because we want to preserve their efficacy. The The antibiotics that we have now are pretty much what we're going to have for the foreseeable future because there's, they're not coming out anymore. We're not making new antibiotics like we used to. So let me, let, me, let me break this down for my simple mind. What you're saying is, is I'm out hog hunting. I get a dog hit by a hog. He's got a cut on his shoulder. I take it back in. Maybe I clean it up and I staple it in the field, bring it back in, and I think, well, I'm just going to give him a shot of antibiotics because we're in the marsh. There's all kinds of nasty stuff out there. Hogs are going to – every other – you know, they're, they're dirty. I, sh- I shouldn't just be coming home and giving him a, give him a shot of PNG. Mm. Okay, so let's go on that specific example. So now instead of saying – we're just going to give a shot just to cover our bases. In that situation, if you brought that dog to me, he would absolutely be getting antibiotics. Mm-hmm. But before he got antibiotics, we would do a couple things first. The first thing is that we are relying on topical antibiotics as much as possible instead of systemic antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And that's because the topical antibiotics that we use are less important to human medicine than they are to to us. And so if we can treat topically instead of treating systemically, that's always the first step that we have this phrase called, we say dilution is the solution to pollution, all right? And if we can dilute out the bacteria by flushing, by using topical antibiotics, uh, antibiotic solutions, that's how we get rid of it versus relying on a shot. And that is going to get you much farther anyways, even by adding systemic antibiotics than, than not. So this hog dog comes in, he's cut. First thing he's going to get sedated. He's going to get that wound explored. Man, you can get in real trouble. Um, just this weekend, I had a farm animal that died before I could get to it because the the wound was left for three days before it got addressed, mm-hmm. and the farmer thought it was fine, and it wasn't, and then he got septic and died. Right. So those wounds can really hide. Uh, you know, tusk can get pretty deep, and in places you don't want it to go, 
Um, and from the surface, it looks okay, mm -hmm. but underneath it's not okay. And so proper assessment of the wound is, is super important. So they get sedated, they get anesthetized, they get the area clipped, cleaned and explored. Mm -hmm. And we do that really carefully to make sure that it's not penetrating into a, you know, abdominal or thoracic cavity, making sure that it's not, you know, harmed a uh, vital piece. And, and then we're diluting it flush, 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 mm -hmm. using something like chlorhexidine. Novasan is the brand. You can go get it at a tractor supply shelf, and we're diluting out. And then, What's it called again? Sure. Chlorhexidine. Yeah. Yep. Or no Novasan, I think I'm saying that right, um, is the, the name brand, but you can get a bunch of generics now. It's like a blue liquid. Okay. Um, and it's a solution. You don't want the scrub for a wound. Mm -hmm. um, the solution doesn't have the detergent in there like a scrub does. But you follow the label instructions, and you dilute it out. And Wear uh, gloves. And wear gloves. <laughs> it, that stuff, it doesn't die is quite as bad as the iodine does. But, uh, but yeah, but flushing, you know, you got to be careful about in the field because if you flush into a, a wound that you don't know where it ends, um, you know, you get a wound on the chest or the abdomen and you're putting flush in there, you're putting fluid where you don't want it. So you yeah. got to be careful. But, yep, yeah, so we're flushing with chlorhexidine. We're getting as much of that junk out of there as we can. And at that point, we decide whether or not it's going to get closed, meaning, you know, staples or stitches, um, because sometimes we leave them open, so it, right. air is bad for bacteria. Mm -hmm. So, and then we're, and then at that point, we're deciding on whether we need to add a systemic antibiotic for a dog hunting in the swamp. Uh, you know, gets cut up by a hog. Yep, I'm probably using a systemic antibiotic. Mm -hmm. Probably not picking penicillin, but yes, I'm probably going to use a systemic. Right. But you know, for the dog that's out here, my dog most most common things I run into barbed wire. Gosh, how many people get barbed wire cuts right. during hunting season, right? And then um, just, you know, general scrapes and cuts, you know, comes back with a bloody tongue from panting and getting his tongue cut, ears shredded, something like that. I, as of yet, in the last year and a half that I've been out of vet school and running RIP, I have not prescribed him an antibiotic yet. Yeah. Um, because most of the time, you, do, you just don't need it. Mm -hmm. Their own body will be able to fight off infections if they're healthy and in good shape. Um, and so there's a lot of those times when you might give it just in case it could turn infected and you really don't need to. Mm -hmm. um, but for those dirty wounds like you're describing, yeah, absolutely. So we have kind of a classification scheme of, of antibiotic, or I guess wound, uh, and whether an antibiotic is indicated clean, clean contaminated, contaminated, and dirty. A clean wound doesn't need antibiotics. A dirty wound does. Clean contaminated or contaminated may or may not based on how the wound looks and how deep it is. So it's not just as simple as there's a wound, needs an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking about, you know, you're out there in the field and, you know, uh, I know people that hunt in Mexico. They'll hunt in Sonora, Mexico, 50,000 acre ranch, whatever. Um, how do they get away from how, – how, what, what advice do you have for them when you may be, you know, one, a lot of our houndsmen that listen to this podcast are in South Africa or in Southern Africa. I don't know what vet medicine's like over there. Me either. You know, so you gotta <laughs> you got to do what you got to do sometimes. And I think that's, that's where, we were, where we were coming from on the podcast. Uh, but – it's time to throw Shorty under the bus. So let's go through what what uh, we talked about and find out what what we do. 
be nice to me. So tell me what we did for good first. <laughs> okay, we can do that. It's like it's like my kids, right? The information sandwich. So no, there's there's a lot of good info we had. You know, talking about bacteria static versus bacteria cidal, mm -hmm. um, talking about the different drugs and and some other potential uses. Um, but I will say is that well I'll get into it so there's a lot of the good stuff there and then you know I heard a couple of good things um you know making sure he was he was very careful about talking about duration and talking about how often you need to give things and all of those things are really important when we talk about giving antibiotics yeah um so you know the fact that we're thinking about that is great you guys talked about resistance mm -hmm. um and talked about how you know if you keep giving these antibiotics, then then you create a resistance to it, and it's with the the bacteria themselves that we're creating a problem. Um, so you know we're you're talking about a lot of the things that we're preaching, and so um, and and then you know talking about ears and flushing and and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Well, we just talked about flushing out that hog cut. Flushing is is huge mm -hmm. um, when it's when it's the right thing to do, and it, it gets you a lot further. So a lot of that stuff. Did awesome. you like the Monistat Seven for the ears? You know. I was thinking about that this morning because uh, I, I went back and listened to it again. And you did? I, I did. Yeah, Thank I sure you. did. I sure did. All yeah. right. We got uh, another download. <laughs> well, there you go. Racking up your count. <laughs> uh, so the monostat, when we treat and prescribe ear stuff, it all, almost everything you get from a veterinary supplier has an anti-inflammatory, an antibiotic, and an antifungal. Mm -hmm. And monostat only has the antifungal component mm -hmm. of that. And the reason that we mix the other two is is almost inevitably if you culture an ear, by culture I mean you take a swab of an infected ear, you grow it out on a plate, and then you see what type of bacteria or fungal uh, fungus it's growing. Mm -hmm. Even if you think that that ear only has yeast in it, it usually also has a bacteria gr that's grown out of there too. Mm -hmm. And then you add the anti-inflammatory topically uh, that reduces the pain and inflammation for the dog's sake and their welfare. So the monostat is is on the right track it's just not as far as i would go right. if that makes sense yeah um but flushing absolutely mm -hmm. that's the most important thing and i did have the i did have the uh formula wrong on the ear beer thing that i mm. i put out there i said well, equal parts of uh, an equal part of mineral oil you only need a few drops of mineral oil after you use apple cider vinegar uh the the peroxide and a rubbing alcohol. That was actually what we put on our ears and apple cider vinegar, alcohol and peroxide together. And it, you got the drying thing, you got the pH thing and the mineral oil just helps it feel, feel greasy and makes you wipe your ears off a lot. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that no, mineral it's, oil. It's, yeah, <laughs> but no, that I just want to make that correction. And, and, uh, just as a preventative thing that, that we do as scuba that we did, we dove in some nasty stuff. Yep. You know, you come out of there and, and the first thing you did was dry off and, and put, you know, as soon as you got your hood off and, and your mask off, man, we were treating our ears. If we didn't, we would, we were a wreck. Yeah. But, I'm sure there's something that, that you can recommend for that too. Well, with the biggest thing um, versus, you know, the homemade cleaning is that the skin pH of, of people and the skin pH of dogs is different. Mm -hmm. And so stuff designed for people's skin is not adequate for dog skin. Mm -hmm. um, and so I usually discourage homemade recipes because there are so many 
commercially available and made was, specifically for dogs. I and, haven't done that for years. I use yeah. I use the dog stuff in my ears now after I swim in the pond. <laughs> I do. I use the Odic, the the Odic, uh, you know, the different Odic solutions that you can get from yeah. vet vet supply houses. I'll get out of the pond after swimming in the pond, and I'll use it on myself. <laughs> well, uh, you'll have to talk to your <laughs> physician about that one. But uh, but there are you know there's so many good things you can get now. Um, I like stuff made by this company called Decra or Detra D E C H R A. Uh, they make a bunch of uh, ear, different ear flushes, and you can get some of them with uh, you know antibiotic and antifungal in it. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just a basic flushing. Um, the the key with flushing is use it a lot like you don't use a smaller for just a few drops fill that ear up and massage and let them shake their heads you that is an that's another good point most people when they massage an ear they just go to the top of the ear there and they rub their ears yeah you actually need to go all the way down towards the base of the jawbone, down deep in that ear um, and and massage it down there and if you start massaging down there you'll get the air out and it'll come up and that solution will go all the way to the to where it needs to go. Yeah, so so people's are your canals are straight in, mm-hmm. right? Dogs are more like an L. And I, I, I write articles for Full Cry, and I put this in detail in the one that's about to come out here in, in uh, September's issue. But but dogs' ear canals are shaped like an L, and you got the vertical canal and horizontal canal. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot deeper than ours. Yeah. And you're not going to reach it with a Q-tip to get all the way down in there close to the eardrum. So that's why flushing is so important. And just like you said, if you massage out at the entrance of that ear canal, you're not getting where the gunk is. The gunk is way down there deep. And so massaging, and I like to tell people, set a stopwatch and massage for a full minute with that ear full of flush, and that you'll just see the gunk start to float up into the, the top of that flush. It's gross, but awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. by sitting there and massaging that, if you don't get the gunk out, the antifungal and the antibiotic can't get to the skin or they need to go to kill the infection. Mm-hmm. So flushing, either while you're treating an ear infection or trying to prevent one, um, is really, really the key. Let's talk about prevention. I think that's always the best thing is if we – so when would you recommend somebody uh, flush an ear? Is there any particular time where you put them on a routine or is it like, okay, stay on this routine, but we just hunted a nasty swamp. I need to go ahead and flush. What's your recommendation on that? The recommendation is it depends, but yeah. the this time of the year is oh, I we treat ear infections usually multiple a day at the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's moistness and then you know confirmation is a big contributor. So the hounds are the classics to get the ear infection because they have this huge heavy ear flap or the pinna is the technical name for it that's that's weighing down that ear over the canal and the ear canal is not getting airflow like another dog would, mm-hmm. and so. For dogs that are uh, in, the, in this high, humid, sticky heat like we are here in Virginia, especially further south, um, if you're hunting in damp or wet conditions like hunting swamps, um, you know you know your dogs ran through the creek or the river, just go ahead and flush. Keep some in your truck. Flush their ears out. You don't need to necessarily get in down in there with cotton swabs and all that stuff. Just flush, flush, flush. Um, and then as a matter of you know routine maintenance throughout the rest of the year, it depends on the dog. For if you have a dog that you know is prone to ear infections, mm-hmm. flush more often than the dog that, like my my Ladner Kerr, his ears are kind of higher set. They're not uh, heavy flap hanging down. He you know he's not really much at risk for it. So I don't routinely flush his ears. But the dogs that are predisposed to it, absolutely, just go ahead. Is and flush. a month? Is it once a month too much? No. And if you're using the right cleaner that is not affecting the pH negatively, you can flush on a weekly basis okay. or even more often if you need to, mm-hmm. um, if you're using the right stuff. I, I, I'm telling. I know. <laughs> I've done it so many times. Uh, 
uh, a young you'll have a young dog that's coming on hard. You know, he's he's treeing good and everything, and all of a sudden he starts leaving trees. As soon as he gets there, he'll locate. He'll give you a few tree barks, and then he's walking off, and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? I I probably got rid of a lot of good young dogs like that before I realized that I wouldn't treat ears. Mm. Those ears, when they oh, when they rock that head back and they start treeing, and their ears are already in pain, a lot of times that's just a little tip. A lot of times if you take care of a dog's ears, and you can improve improve his tree style, and especially in these young dogs, you're not creating a negative experience for them when they're just learning their craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's uh, just just something I picked up on. So I'm a big I'm a big ear guy. Yeah, I'm always you know looking for looking for ways to take care of dogs' ears. And and hounds are so tough. When we get hounds in the clinic, we where we use a stoic. I mean, they can be, you know, guts hanging out, and they're just sitting there looking at you, letting you know, wagging their tail. Mm-hmm. That's very different than a lot of breeds. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, you might not see obvious signs of an ear infection like a lab would show you where they're head shaking, scratching, digging at an ear, stuff like that. You might, and yeah. you, you often do, but like you said, sometimes it's really subtle to nothing. Oh, um, man. If I see an ear shake, if I see a head shake, a, you know, I'm out there feeding or whatever, and a dog comes out of its, and it shakes its head. I've got my eyes on it. Yep. I'm watching, and yep. I'm looking, and I'm checking, and I'm flushing. Absolutely. Just go ahead and flush it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two, you, you know, you mentioned the head rocking back. Um, you know, people are more prone to getting otitis media, like a middle ear infection mm-hmm. or inner ear infection. Dogs are a little different in that they usually get an external, otitis externa, which is just that external ear canal. But what is the same is that, if you've ever had an ear infection, which sounds like you had in all your diving, um, it hurts like heck. Yeah. My kids have had repeated ear infections this last year, and they're they're crying. They're hurting. You need to get um, some of that odic from the vet supply. <laughs> I, I did to all my kids, man. I tell you what, uh, talking about antibiotic resistance <laughs> and, and stuff like that, man, my kids got put on multiple rounds of amoxicillin and these other cephalosporins, and, and I finally said, like, Doc, when when do we go in and drain that fluid? Because that's that's what we're taught to do. Yeah. Um, and finally, my daughter went and got ear tubes, and so you know, putting a little hole in that eardrum because again, dilution is a solution to pollution. Right. And we got to get that fluid out of there. These antibiotics are not penetrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so human med and their antibiotic usage is something to 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 talk about um, and overuse of it. But I bet your doctor thought the same thing about you. He <laughs> thought about me. It's like. What's this guy know? He's a veterinarian. Right. <laughs> Boom. But I bet, no, seriously, Taylor, I bet that, uh, let's talk about that importance. I want to dive a little deeper into this resistance that these bacteria are getting and, and why we should be cautious about uh, over-medicating with the antibiotics. Because um, in my generation, you got antibiotics for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean... My wife has built up such a resistance to antibiotics. They over they over medicated her where it actually affected the pigment in her teeth. Whoa! Um, you know because she had a sniffle, her mom would run her to the doctor. My mother in law doesn't listen to this, so I'm safe. But uh, <laughs> uh, she'll tell you, and she has developed a lot of resistance. So now, later on in life. As she, there's certain antibiotics that don't work with her anymore mm. because she de- developed that resist. Or is it the bacteria, or is it is it what is it? 
is it the body rejecting it or is it the bacteria? Yeah, it's the bacteria themselves. So the bacteria is evolving. It's it's and a lot of people will think they you know they have different feelings about evolution. I've got problems with Darwin. Darwin. I don't have problems with evolution. You know, things evolve in this world, and um, it just it just happens. So, right. is it like a the weeds in our fields that are developing resistance to Roundup? In celebration of one million downloads at Houndsman XP Podcast, we're teaming up with Dogs Are Tree to bring you this special offer. So here's how it's going to work. You're going to go shop for all that high-quality gear over at Dogs Are Treed. And when you go in there and you purchase a tie-out, dogs are hydrated, paws are protected, any of that high-quality gear like a first-aid kit for you and your hounds, you put that in your cart, use the promo code HXP20% off. When that order totals $200, after the discount and before you include shipping, Houndsman XP is going to send you one of our new model hats included in that. It's a $35 value. We're going to throw a decal in there. That's another $5 value. So we're going to give you $40 worth of stuff for tuning in and helping us get to 1 million downloads. You can check that out on the new website coming very soon, or you can go straight to dogsartree.com and check all of that out. Also, check out Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters taking America's heroes from field to field. When that veteran comes back from active duty, he's coming home from deployment. Maybe he's uh, uh, or she is is wanting to get back into hunting, been discharged for a few years. That's what Freedom Hunters does. So check out Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org. Figure out how you can get involved today a lot of houndsmen out there get feedback from them that have hosted a freedom hunters event the biggest beneficiary for getting involved is you you are going to feel patriotic and you are going to give back to the people who have sacrificed so much for our freedoms to hunt and free cast these hounds check them out at freedomhunters.org similar idea okay so so there's that, or there's, you know, you've probably heard of MRSA. Most people are yep. probably, so yep. MRSA stands for methicillin-resistant staph aureus. And so that is a, a antibiotic that's, you know, uh, infamous because... A bacteria? Yep, it is a bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's resistant to methicillin. What the heck's methicillin? Methicillin is a, an antibiotic in the class of penicillin, mm-hmm. which is called the beta-lactams. All right, and so... Penicillin, cephalosporins, a couple other bigger gun antibiotics, they're, they're in the beta-lactam class, and they have this chemical ring. And what it does is it inserts itself into the cell wall of bacteria, and then it prevents that, that bacteria from being able to replicate and reproduce. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's how penicillin works. That's, that's, it's amazing. Well, what's happened is these bacteria have then developed this thing called beta-lactamase. It's an enzyme that breaks down the beta-lactam ring. And so the bacteria has literally developed its own defense mechanism against that antibiotic. No so the antibiotic kidding. cannot kill it. So then we countered and we said, well, let's do this thing. So you've heard, maybe heard of clavamox, right? Mm-hmm. That's amoxicillin clavulonic acid. Clavulonic acid is a, uh, is a potentiator, I guess. It fights the beta-lactamase so that the amoxicillin can then kill the bacteria. 
But now we have bacteria that are developing resistance to even that. So they got their own wars going on. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly wow. right. And then you add in these bacteria like Salmonella, E. coli, uh, and these are, we, we can think of them as kind of a, a gram-negative versus gram-positive bacteria, but, but E. coli and Salmonella, they can actually develop resistance that they then pass on to other species of bacteria. They develop a gene that fights off whatever antibiotic that used to work just by being exposed to it, then they can, it's, plasmids is one of the things that does it. They can give that to another species of bacteria, and now that bacteria no longer responds to the antibiotic. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> That's scary. Not many things that keep me up at night, but thinking about antibiotic resistance is one sometimes. Yeah. And, and because it can happen so fast, and you can start treating you know, either a person or an animal with an antibiotic, and at the instant that you start using it, there are bacteria in your body developing resistance that very first day to that antibiotic. Hmm. Not necessarily the ones that are causing the disease, but there are other bacteria in your gut and your body getting exposed to it that are d developing a resistance to it. And even if they aren't the bad ones, they can give that resistance gene to the bad ones. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's complicated. But now you might see why we try to be so careful about using them because every time you use an antibiotic, you are developing resistance, even if on a low level, uh, to you and to the bacteria in your body that are naturally there. Yeah. So. So when we were talking about uh, tick-borne diseases, we're talking about doxycycline. Mm. I, I think I brought up the fact that <laughs> I couldn't even believe this guy told me this. You know, he's like, he's like, oh yeah, I, I'm, I just run them through doc a uh, thing as doxy every year, and I'm thinking, well. Are they going to get bit? What if they get bit by an infected tick right after you're done with the doxy? They're yep. going to have to wait for a year to get to get this again. Or now you've got a, a legitimate issue, and so next week you're going to put them on another round of doxy. Right. What happens when we do that? You know, the good the one good thing there is that, to my knowledge, we are not struggling with uh, antibiotic resistance in a lot of our tick-borne diseases yet. Yeah but I just can't imagine that it's not and that we're not headed that direction. Everyone else, every other bacteria is, right? Right, right. Especially, you know, the staphs, the streps, mm -hmm. those E. coli, things like that that I talked about. So using them because you think that you have, an, you know, a tick-borne disease issue um, is really, frankly, an irresponsible use of antibiotics just for the reasons we talked about. Yeah. And if there's two things that I think are overdiagnosed amongst the hound community is thyroid disease and tick-borne illness. And not to say we don't see a lot of either. Um, I think we definitely see more tick-borne illness than thyroid disease. But just because your dog comes in to the clinic and they've got a fever and they pop positive on a snap test, and I'll explain what that is in a second, but just because they have those two things does not mean they are currently affected by tick-borne illness. Mm -hmm. And so by just assuming that's the problem, treating with doxy and, and they you know, get better, we're kind of self-affirming our belief that that was the issue. Um, when really it could have been a multitude of other things. And so we have to be careful about just jumping to tick-borne. What was that study you talked about? So so we, we were talking about the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? <laughs> so the, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is named after this, uh, this study that was done in the 90s. And these two psychologists uh, set people down, and they gave them a test, and they had to uh, answer, like, logic questions and general knowledge questions, and then – after they were done with the test, they then had to rate themselves 
on how well they thought they did. How do you think he did? <laughs> <laughs> the people that consistently scored lowest on the actual test consistently rated themselves very high on how they actually did. And so there's this, there's this danger zone where if you do something a few times, you get a little bit of knowledge, you tend to overestimate how much you actually know about that subject area. And that, that goes for many, many areas. Sure. But it is huge uh, amongst you know people self-treating their animals. How do you treat it? Maybe that's what we ought to be talking about on the Houndsman XP podcast. <laughs> How do you treat the Dunning-Kruger effect? <laughs> the first thing is to be aware that it's a thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, when I learned about it in vet school, I went, oh, Man, I do that all the time. I'm like sitting here self-reflecting right now. Sure. Right. <laughs> what What do I actually know? <laughs> but it, but it's true. You know, we we tend to overinflate our own uh, what we actually know. And and the more that I you learn about vet med, you know, sitting there in school, I learned that first year. By by second and third year, I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to learn all this? I know nothing because yeah. there's this kind of curve type effect where you learn a little bit and you think you know it all. And then the more you learn, you start coming down that curve. I know nothing. And then you kind of even back out where you know a lot, but you also are aware of what you don't know. Yeah. And I think I think there's a lot of people that are on that, that first high part of that curve where they say, man, I know everything because I know a little bit of something. Mm-hmm. And that that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, so you get a guy that, that thinks he's got a tick-borne disease, illness or bacteria, treats with a round of fish docs, and all of a sudden his dog's performing again, and he thinks, oh, I fixed it. Boom. You got it. And, and now, now when somebody asks what's going on with Tick just re- on, on Facebook, it's like, I've got experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how many times somebody will come into the clinic, not just hound dogs, but, oh, my dog has this problem. Oh, well, why do you think it has this problem? Well, because it's doing exactly what my last dog did that uh-huh. had this problem. Okay, well, there's a thousand causes for a dog that's vomiting. So not every dog that's vomiting has a foreign body stuck in its gut. But every owner thinks that their dogs for the rest of their life has a foreign body stuck because their first dog did. Yeah. But I've been trained to know all of the possible causes and how to go through the diagnostic tree to figure out, is that actually the cause or is it something else? And so, yes, sometimes you're right. Sometimes it is a foreign body. Sometimes it is tick-borne illness. And, you know, a lot of times. What's the craziest thing you've ever taken out of a dog? You know, I haven't got to cut a whole lot of foreign bodies yet. Um, my boss tends to get a lot of those because I'm running out to go see a cow or a horse or something. Those yeah. are longer involved surgeries. I've cut a. This is this is a rabbit hole. You know, this <laughs> is definitely a rabbit path right here. The the craziest stories I've heard. I mean, I've cut some foam balls out. Um, I've seen pistachios taken out of a cat gut that was stuck somewhere down the intestine. I mean, the classics are like taking panties out that don't belong to the wife and the family. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens all the time. Um, you know, and, and then <laughs> the more you think about I it, the funnier it gets, right? <laughs> I know, I don't even think I, I've got a story, but I can't top that one. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had to personally experience that awkwardness yet, but I think it's coming. Um, yeah, dogs lead all kinds of crazy stuff. Corn cobs was the l- latest recent one. A dog ate three corn cobs that my boss had to take out of the stomach because they wouldn't pass through. Yeah. And the dog just scarfed them up like that out of the trash can. But yeah, dogs lead all kinds of Stuff. When I was running canine, uh, one of the things that we we rewarded with was a we would take a hand towel and then roll it up and then tape it. You know, we'd put three sets of tape on it. We'd make our own. We could wash them and all that stuff. The reason was is because when your dog gives you the indication they want to play tug of war, you can throw it and they can retrieve it. You can play tug of war with it. It was perfect. They were cheap. 
my dog decides she she did her job. I re threw the towel in and gave her a reward, and she she picked it up, upended it, and swallowed that dude. Oof. I mean, boom! Before I could even get my hand in her mouth <laughs> to grab the end of it, gone. And I'm like, I've got to take this dog to the vet because if she dies, I might get fired. Uh, <laughs> No, that's that's wrong. I took her because I was concerned about her. Sure, but, sure. Uh, you know, I knew she wasn't going to pass that dude. Yep. And uh, took her to the vet, and my vet made a lasso, went on a probe and took it and had an endoscope in there, and he went in there, and he lassoed that dude, looped it, and pulled it straight out. It was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. I was yeah. like, endoscopes are. There's, yeah. there's so many non-invasive tools we have now to use versus just cutting into a dog. Yeah. That's a cool way to be able to do it. Yeah. I got there quick enough because the dog's gut worked so fast, it didn't make it back into the intestine yet. So. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Again, but that does not top the panties that belong to the girlfriend, not your wife story. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep, there's, there's, I know my time is coming. I, th I think it's almost a rite of passage amongst vets because <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yeah, yeah. Any other, any, I think we covered that on the, the resistance. I think, what's your recommendation for obviously being a veterinarian? Uh, antibiotics should be administered by you, right? I think it, d it would depend on the client and the situation. Somebody like Shorty, who's that truly that far from being able to get to a vet, um, you know, might be different than my local coon hunters who are easily accessible to me. And I'd prefer to keep it as close to the vest as I can mm -hmm. just to pr help protect that usage of it. Um, and, you know, the antibiotics I usually prescribe are very cheap, so it's not a matter of getting the money out of you. It's just a matter of safeguarding those antibiotics. Okay, you brought up a good point uh, there. What do you say about the guy to the guys that are like, ah, they're just trying to get my money, veterinary medicine's a racket type <laughs> thing? I would say there are bad apples in every bunch, and uh -huh. there are absolutely vets like that, but they're few and far between. I, I have yet to meet a vet that I think got into it to try to get rich, because if if you want to get rich, there's a lot of other ways to go about it. You know, human med, they make over double what the average salary is in How, how long was your vet school? Four years of vet school, uh, plus your undergrad before that. Undergrad before that. Yeah. So... Total. How long do you spend in college? So, eight? so eight years is that. Eight years. There's, yep. there's kids making YouTube videos at 16 that are millionaires. There's <laughs> easier ways to get rich, right? That's that. There are easier ways to get rich and much less stressful ways to get rich. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I talked about uh, on on Ben's podcast about the cost of veterinary education and and how that's influencing things. But you know, for us, we have. Uh, no insurance hiding our pricing. Uh, you know, pet insurance is starting to get there, but, you know, that cost of human med is astronomical because of the influence of insurance. Um, and we also have no government subsidi subsidizing anything that we do. Nobody's helping out the local little clinic. It's yeah. all on what we can bring in. So your your cost of coming in to treat your dog, you know, you're supporting a local veterinarian who's usually a local part of your community, and you're supporting the staff members that they uh, they are, are hiring and employing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're supporting a local business by and large. Now, yeah. we talked about corporate buyouts too on Ben's podcast and how many corporate. Well, that's there are. that's one thing but that that's one thing that uh, I I've always tried to maintain a not just knowing who to call. Yeah. But like Doctor Hubbard is my vet that understands hunting. He understands hunting dogs. He understands me. 
and we got a relationship. He's an honor himself. And so he understands that. I, when I, uh, I used to have a, a veterinarian, uh, Dr. Little in Terre Haute, who was a hunter. So he understood. And it's more than just, I mean, I would see him in public and we would speak. And, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's a relationship because if you don't maintain a relationship, the day's going to come when you are going to need a veterinarian. You can't fix it. And it's better have have some mutual trust there that you can go in and you're going to have faith that some you're going to do everything that you can to save that dog and you understand that and i'm going to understand that that it's going to be expensive um but it's going to be cheaper than than uh the alternative sure yeah yep absolutely and and there's you know, just like we talked about. I was about very earlier. poorly worded on my part. I was kind of searching for that a little bit. No, no. I, d- I d- got what you meant. You know, if we can address the problem before it gets worse, um, and, you know, you, you acknowledge that sometimes it's going to be expensive. You know, a lot of times people will walk in and they think, I just want to run tests just to pad your bill. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't. I, you know, like I said, there are vets to do that kind of stuff, but they're few and far between. If I ask you for a test to run it and it costs, you know, 150 bucks, it's because I genuinely think that's going to get me good information to mm-hmm. help me decide what's actually wrong with your dog. Yeah. Um, you know, if you walk into the human hospital and tie their hands and say, I want you to physically examine me, but I want you to run no tests and correctly diagnose me, they're going to laugh at you because they depend on those diagnostic tests mm-hmm. to figure out what's wrong with you. And we do too. And so we're not just doing it to spend your money. We're doing it to try to figure out what's wrong with your dog. And our code of ethics states that we're doing it you know, for the, the, the benefit of the patient and yeah. to alleviate animal suffering. That's in the animal oath, uh, the veterinarian oath rather. And so, yeah, we're, we're doing it for a good reason. And it's not just to, to get money out of you. Yeah. I'm on flat salary. I don't make extra money because you chose this test or that test. You don't get commission. I, I don't on, on small animal stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you're so not get, you're not getting like a big, you're not taking a, a cruise for selling a lot of frontline plus this year. No. Not, really? Not so much. No. Man, you no. should have you should have sold insurance. <laughs> My parents <laughs> sold houses growing up, and we did get to go on cruises. So I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but uh, but no, you, you know. And there are clinics that yes, they do operate based off commission and things like that. And I don't, I'm not saying that's wrong, but you know, for our clinic sure. setup, yeah, uh, we we're doing it to try to to correctly get to the bottom of what's going on with your dog. Yeah. Um, and if you don't feel like you can trust your vet, if you feel like they are a, a bill patter, look around, see if you yeah, can find shop. one you trust. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing I'll say, uh, I want to get your feeling on this because I hear this a lot. I wish I still had an old school vet. Hmm. I wish I still had that old, old farm vet around. Yeah. From what you've told me, we've come a long way from giving everything a shot of Pen G and kicking it out the door. Yeah. Because the bacteria have evolved. Yep. The old farm vet, right? The the old Doc McGillicuddy, one of my professors used to talk about that, that type guy is, uh, there's a wealth of knowledge to be learned from those guys. And yeah. I, I sought out clinics that had those kind of vets mm-hmm. so that I could learn from them yeah. because experience and school of hard knocks teaches you a whole lot. You bet. At the same time, there's something to be said for not just getting stuck on one way of doing things and learning new methods, new treatments. And I have worked with young vets that are closer to my age who were so heavily influenced by their older teachers that they don't do the new things. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen the opposite where I've seen some older vets that are so up to date on the newest methods and research yeah. and medicines that I'm like, wow, dude, 
mean, how do you read and spend so much time exactly. figuring that stuff out? Yeah. So, you know, the the old school thing that I think that people are, are really looking for when they say that is they want common sense. They want somebody who is able to look at things from your perspective mm-hmm. and not just the perspective of, of a vet. Um, and, and they're really wanting somebody who, who they can trust and, and they will empathize with their situation. And I do think uh, there there's a loss of a lot of that type of vet out there. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. I took a dog to a vet in another state. I was on a trip and uh, had to do some of my own first aid um, on the vet, on the dog to get it in there. And when I walked in, I was treated like I I was actually treated like I sat out in the parking lot and beat that dog and misabused it when I brought it in. It was like, oh, my gosh, who did this? Mm. Oh, my gosh, why would you, why would anybody do this? I did that. Yeah. Why did you do that? Because I had to get the dog here, you know, and and that's not good in any walk of life. And, sure. and that's frustrating for us because no, my sutures aren't perfect. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yes, but there is a drain tube in it, you know, and it did take me three days or two days to get down here. By the time I got off the mountain and, you know, got everything and got here, I, he needs to be checked out. But yeah, you're right. I'm glad you said that common sense. And the old, the, the old, the, I think some of the draw to the old school vets was, um, um, they're just pretty common, you know, uh, Doc Beckett would show up at the farm, and and uh, he might have just come from a hog farm, and his truck smelled like a hog farm, and it was just it was just one of those deals. It's like, how you doing, Doc? Pretty good, Chris. How you doing today? What we got here, you know? And yeah. just a normal guy. It wasn't like oh, I'm here. I've been to vet school, and you're just an idiot. Get out of my way. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. And I think um, I think those are definitely lacking nowadays, and it's partly how you know, students are selected for vet school and the type of people that we're trying to recruit. Um, but on the flip side, you know, from, from our perspective, um, you know, the old school vets, sometimes they get stuck in their ways and there are, there are new things that come out, new research that, that mm-hmm. gets, you know, exposes new medications. Um, you know, like let's, we can go to those steroids in a little bit, but prednisone, you know, um, there's there's people that call that the golden bullet. Prednisone is a steroid yeah, in the dexamethasone sure. class, yeah. right? And because, you know, a steroid will fix, quote unquote, a lot of things and make mm-hmm. a lot of things look better. But, you know, back when we didn't have all of the knowledge we have now and you brought your dog into me and you want improvement and you want to see results, man, prednisone probably is going to be on my list. But now for that itchy dog that I used to prescribe prednisone for, we have these other great meds that just have the itch effect and they have much less risk of the side effects that prednisone has. And that old school vet that's still prescribing the prednisone, yeah, it's cheap. Yeah, it solves the problem. But, you know, we're risking a whole lot of side effects that a lot of owners are not going to tolerate anymore after they find out they could have used something safer with less risk of side effects and still got the job done. So what are some of the, or what are some of the side effects from prednisone? Because this is one of those podcasts where people are going to listen to it and think, you know, they're going to go to their vet, and all of a sudden the the vet's going to say, we're going to put it on prednisone. It's sure. like, well, I heard on the Houndsman XP that it had side effects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good overarching, you know, statement here is listen to your local vet mm-hmm. because they are looking at your dog. They are hearing right. your history. They are hearing and knowing that dog's health history and what's been done and not done in the past, and they know you best. So, you know, 
you rarely, it's okay to question. I don't mind when people come in with me with questions, but they've usually got a darn good reason for the reason they're, they're prescribing one thing or another, but prednisone. All right. We shouldn't be scared of prednisone or a steroid getting prescribed, but they do have some serious side effect risks. And I, uh, kudos to Shorty talking about his dogs that he's personally had, you know, those side effects with, with dexamethasone, right. um, because you can get in trouble really fast. Mm-hmm. And I rarely use steroids. I use them when I have to. Um, but the reason is side effects can be as mild as um, just seeing things like increased panting, uh, increased peeing and drinking is m- one of the more common things we see. But it can go all the way up to uh, causing GI ulcers in the stomach or the intestine bad enough that they perforate and yeah. they then have a septic abdomen, uh, killing the kidneys. So they, they affect how the kidneys get blood flow to them and they, you can cause really bad kidney side effects that can be irreversible. Um, so those are some of the big things. And then immune suppression, when we're given a steroid, it is downregulating the immune system to the point where it's no longer responding appropriately. Sometimes we want that. We're going for that. Uh-huh. Um, like in cancer, like we'll prescribe it for dogs, uh, for lymphoma. If they're not going to go get chemotherapy, uh, we'll, we'll use prednisone to kind of help downregulate that immune system for mm-hmm. a little while. But those, those side effects are big. Um, and you, you can absolutely kill a dog with steroids, no doubt right. about it. So you have to use it when you have to, not just because you want to avoid a problem later. That's just one like of the antibiotics. Things we mentioned it in the podcast. It's like my dog got bit by a snake. What do you think? Mm. Shoot it with some decks. Shoot it with some decks. Shoot it with some decks. Yep. You know. Yep. And and you may have seen. Uh, I made a post about this on on the I social did see media. It. Yeah. Uh, there's there's actually no good evidence that steroids do anything in the snake bite situation, because snake bites. The the problem is the the toxins in the venom are causing uh, effects on the blood vessels and they're causing effects on uh, clotting and things like that. But a steroid is not treating. Um, and like antihistamines, Benadryl, snake bites are not causing. An antihistamine is called so because it's fighting histamine release, mm-hmm. which is used in, a, in an allergic reaction in your body. Um, and so insect bites and stings, yes, there is histamine release. Snake bites, no, because it's the venom again that's doing it. So that's why Benadryl really doesn't have any effect on it. Mm-hmm. Antibiotics are rarely indicated because they rarely get infected. There's a study to prove that. Um, so, you know, that, that knowledge comes from, you know, looking at studies, trying to keep up with the latest research. Penicillin, Dex, and Benadryl is the three most common things that I see, you know, guys on Facebook or on the forums prescribe, say you should give your dog for a snake bite. Mm-hmm. And I would use exactly none of those um, unless I actually saw that a bite truly was infected, which again is rare. Um, pretty much other than that, I, I wouldn't use those things. Yeah. So um, that's, a, that's a perfect example snake bite treatment of old school way of thinking because we used to think that the swelling was the problem mm-hmm. and it's, that's why we gave decks. It's not the swelling. It's the problem. It's the venom and its effects. We used to think that infection was the problem and it's not, it's actually the tissue dying and necrosing we call it. Right. And so we go in there and clean that dead tissue out if we can. Mm-hmm. And if it actually gets infected, then we use an antibiotic. So, you know, that's a new school of thought, but it's, you know, slowly changing and do that info has got to get out there. Sometimes those old school, ways of thought or it's not up to date. And that's, that's a great example of one that's not. Yeah. Yeah. What we miss doc. Oh, um, Oh, you, you took notes. You asked me, to. I feel underprepared. <laughs> 
Yes, me too. Okay, the the last thing I, I guess that I was thinking about is, is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Um, we might want we might want to shut it off now. No, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Cut me off before he says something I disagree with. Uh, I guess just the ethics of home treatment and doing stuff at home versus relying on your vet. Um, you, you know, there's no question. You guys have plenty of podcasts covering the topic of of hound hunting being under scrutiny. Uh and hunting with dogs and so i think that part of that public perception that i don't see it started to yet but i am afraid of is people using things like all of these home treatments thrown out there as an example of well here's all these guys that have dogs and they're not taking care of them properly they're just trying to do stuff at home um, and risking their dog's health and welfare Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that is a fair assessment Mm -hmm. now like a, we've talked about all these things. Most of that is well-intentioned by people doing it. They're not trying to hurt their dog. They're trying to help their dog. They think they're doing the right thing. But I do worry that the public perception of these home remedies and home treatments and avoiding a vet until you have to is going to, to further play into the anti uh, view on hounds and hound hunting. And so I guess I would just caution how we talk about this stuff and how we throw this stuff out there in the public eye um, you know, whether that's on social media or YouTube videos or what have you. Or a podcast. Or, well, oh, you said it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, I think we really need to be careful and we need to strive for, uh, you know, part of my point in creating this Tree Dog Doc social media pages and things like that was to hopefully help pull the hound community to a higher standard of health care and caring for their dogs than I think has been the norm. And part of that reason is because I love it and I want to keep doing it. I want the freedom to be able to take my dog hunting mm-hmm. and, and to do those things for the rest of my life. It's already in danger. Let's not give them additional ammo by posting about the cases of the dogs where we treated at home and it didn't work and they died, um, which rarely gets thrown out on there. Right. But I think it's an easy target if, if people start to realize that that kind of stuff is getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's hold ourselves and each other to a higher standard. And I've seen a switch in mindset of people encouraging, take your dog to the vet. Go get that looked at. Don't ask it on Facebook group. Right. Go get it looked at by somebody who knows what they're doing. Let's keep doing that. Do you, would you would you go as far as saying it's irresponsible? Yes, in some cases I would. Yeah, yep, absolutely. I'm glad um, you. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I said this before. You know, we were talking about dog food. If if you're feeding the cheapest stuff because you've got too many hounds or because you got 20 dogs and you can't give them the best feed, you got to take, at some point, we got to step back and take a look and say, is the feed too expensive or have I got too many hounds? Hmm. In the same way with veterinary medicine, um, if I'm trying to save money, then there's some things, and you can, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bring my dog in for a split ear to your vet clinic. I'm never gonna do that. I, I'm gonna fix that at my house, um, and most of our houndsmen will. But if it's something that that is, uh, if I look at my dog and all of a sudden he's he's lost weight and and I've, I know he's parasite free, I may run a stool sample in and that comes back parasite free. Then he's still losing weight. We're we're coming. You know, we're coming to the vet. And we're going to figure out what's going on. So I think we have to use some common sense 
uh, and be responsible for our hounds. And if we've got so many that we can't afford vet care, we need to start looking at if, if we were holding on to too many hounds. I think that's the most, and I'm glad you said that because we talk about it in training. We talk about it in hunter ethics. We talk about it in wildlife management. And I think this is an important thing. We need to look at it from the veterinary field too. Um, one thing that bothers me though, is the view of dogs has changed so much in just the last 20 years, uh, the way people view dogs. You know, 20 years ago, if you saw a dog with a sweater on, it was a freak, you know, and you knew the person leading it was a freak, and you didn't even think about it. But now it's like everywhere you go, somebody's got their fur baby in whatever business they're in because they take their dogs with them. The attitude of Americans, it shows that we've got first world problems, I'm telling <laughs> you. We have so much money that we don't know what to do with it. Yeah, so we're going <laughs> to get, we're going to take spend it on our dogs. Yeah. 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 I have, I have clients that, you know, take their dogs to do specialty care and, you know, th things that I, I personally, I would not put my dog through. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's because like, exactly like you said, our mindset has changed to where, you know, animals are elevated to the level of a person and, you know, what does that do? It also downgrades how valuable people are exactly. um, because now we've, we've put them on the same playing field. And, and as we've talked about, you know, being a Christian and, and believing in Jesus, uh, we are made differently. We are mm -hmm. separate from, from animals. We are, they are not on our level of importance and equal, uh, equal to us. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a scary thought, um, just how people think of the, some of these things. Um, but, you know, some of those have had some, some benefits in that the fact of helping to elevate how we look at them. They are a creature made by God. They feel pain. They do suffer. They, they have uh, things that maybe we overlooked in the past or, or, you know, pushed off to the side. But as a whole, yes, I would say that it's a dangerous mindset yeah. um, and that it is negatively affecting, uh, you know, how, how animals are viewed and, and, and how we look at them. Uh, and, and those of us who are more practically minded, you know, I work on farm animals. It's usually an economic decision, not an emotional one. Mm -hmm. It's not just affecting us as houndsmen. It's affecting the cattle farmer and it's affecting the chicken right. farmer and those things and their ability to produce clean, healthy food for us. Um, so there's, there's multiple dangers in different areas of society with pulling those animals up on a pedestal that they don't belong on. So. Yep. Yep anthropomorphization of animals. Yep. Crazy. Doc, I appreciate your time. If you haven't got anything else. I think that's all I had. Man, I appreciate you doing this. I really do. Yeah, glad to do it. And uh, I like it when uh, we bring out the best information, you know, accurate information. We, 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 we're all experts. What was the name of that study again? <laughs> it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. Dunning-Kruger. I got to remember that. I'm going to make a note of that Dunning-Kruger effect. Yep. That's the one. I, I suffer from that sometimes. Everybody yeah. does. <laughs> Everybody does. Well, Doc, until next time, man, you follow your hands and I'll follow mine. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. You bet. <laughs>